Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Midgar Minute. It has been a wild last few weeks with the release of Final Fantasy VII Remake. Our previous episode, we discussed the ending. There's a lot to talk about there, but here mm -hmm. I am joined by my co-host Chris to talk about Chapter 2. What's going on, Chris? What's going on, Nick? Yeah, uh, Chapter 2, you know, the, the bit after when you, when you knew it was a real game. You know, because when I when the game first launched and, you know, I was playing through the, pre, uh, you know, the prologue and stuff, I'm just like, oh, yeah, this is just the demo. Like, it, it was it still wasn't real to me until <laughs> I saw the words chapter two up on the screen. Um, Man, yeah, there's a lot to talk about, even in just this, you know, preliminary chapter. It sets up a lot of stuff for this game. Like it sets up, you know. It sort of gives you a bigger insight into, you know, the Avalanche cast and also all the stuff that's going on with Cloud and Sephiroth and like the, the, the greater plot almost. And you get we get introduced to the Whispers, you know, it it's the the jumping off point, I think, for, you know, it's like, oh, hey, you know, hey, everyone remembers the bombing run. Now here's the remake. Exactly. I, Welcome it, to it's remake. A very, it's a very story-heavy chapter, mm -hmm. so there's going to be no shortage of things for us to talk about. So we can we can start right from the beginning. Chapter two opens with Avalanche kind of in the fallout of the bombing, and yeah. they really they're really confused and put off because they don't they didn't think that their bomb could give that kind of reaction. Yeah, which I mean, theoretically, it shouldn't have uh, without uh, Shinra's intervention, but. Um, yeah, that it's it's kind of interesting to see, you know, because it starts out, you know, they're walking through the the sewers or whatever, and they're you know they're being like, oh yeah, we're fucking awesome, yeah, that's awesome, yeah, great, oh we're we're joking, we're making all this, and then they make it outside and they're like, what the fuck did we do this? Like, yeah, is they, this exactly. Really? In a way, they almost start to question their methods. Like, there was a point I really like this because it shows how important Barrett is to this yes. avalanche of cells dynamic. It's because, mm -hmm. you know, they were kind of questioning what they'd done a little bit, but then Biggs goes like, but it's for the planet, right? Which I like that a lot because, you know, Biggs has the tough guy look, but you really see that he he is looking for leadership. He is looking for reassurance. Yeah, He's like he, that, but it's for the planet, right? You know, kind of yeah, like, like looking looking to Barrett mm -hmm. to fill yeah, that in. They all, they all kind of got shook. And, you know, obviously, like you learn a little bit later on that Biggs is... You know, he's like an overthinker or, you know, and, and they, you kind of get a little bit more glimpse into his character. But I like this scene a lot because this is when I, I mean, I already knew that Barrett was going to be a good character or like the direction that they were taking with him in this game, like he was going to be good. But this was the scene that I was like, okay, like I, I don't care anything else. Like this is this scene won me over. Like when he's doing that speech and being like, Hey guys, no, 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 don't. Don't doubt yourselves, okay? Because we all knew this shit was going to be fucked up. And it <laughs> honestly gives uh, a lot of uh, really good insight because if you compare it to the original Final Fantasy VII and, uh, you you know, you kind of wonder sometimes, how the fuck does Barrett have, like, this squad of people that are, like, extremely loyal to him? And, you know, because he doesn't seem like, you know, he kind of just seems like a very, like, loud, boisterous, like, you know, hard-headed kind of dude and... In, in Remake, they kind of show, like, oh, you know, no, he's like a charismatic, you know, kind of guy, dogmatic almost kind of guy, you know? And, and he's, he's a very, leader. That's the yeah, thing. He's he's, he's really a, a leader. And, go ahead. Natural leader. Yeah, no, that's what I was going to say. He's just, you know, it, it does a real good job of being like, hey, no, this guy is actually, like, he gives a fuck about these people. He's not just like, you know, oh, I'm going to do my thing and I don't care what happens to you guys. Yeah, you he's know? not looking for followers. He's looking for allies. Yeah, and he's, you know, and, you know, some people, you know, whether they agree or disagree with uh, their methods or whatever, he's very much like, no, hey, guys, trust me, like, we're this is for the good of the planet, and, you know, whatever, whatever problems you have, I got you, and, you know, that, to me, was just, like, a perfect, it was the perfect scene to, like, sort of really introduce you to Barrett as a character. Yep. You know, because you kind of, you kind of get their, you know, his kind of deal, like, if you're going in you know, into it for the first time that you kind of get his deal throughout the bombing mission and, you know, you get a little taste of his personality, but that I feel like was the, the shining moment for me of like, okay, like this is who this character is. And then it only, he only gets, you know, better as the story progresses, but. Oh yeah. And we're definitely going to come back to him uh, at the end of this discussion. Cause if you mm -hmm. remember chapter two ends with a, 
a really good conversation between Cloud and Barrett on the on the train. Mm-hmm. Um, but moving beyond that, shortly after that, we have the scene where Jesse gives Cloud the materia, and I guess now we could take a break from the story and talk about what happened in the gameplay itself. Mm. Um, I remember the first time I played after the fallout when you're all supposed to meet back up at Seventh Heaven, um, that the NPCs were all just talking about what just happened, and I remember. Yeah. Pausing myself in the center of the street, I was like, let me sit, stand here and see how long this dialogue is going to go on for. And yeah, it was like, seemingly endless. They were yeah. just holding full conversations, not repeating themselves, and it just kept going and going and going. And I wanted to see it to the end, but it came to a point where I was like, I, I, I just want to keep playing. I'm going to move forward. So this was such, I felt like this was such a great establishment as how alive the world and the NPCs in particular were going to feel. Yeah, exactly. And I think uh, even carrying that for even farther, um, I because the more and more I think about it, I'm like, this chapter really kind of sets the tone for the rest of the entire game almost. And is a really good sort of example of what you're going to be seeing more of throughout the entirety of the game. You know, it has the, you know, these these crazy environments, these crazy, like detail rich environments, you getting introduced to all the NPCs talking and sort of like, you know, getting used to that and then you have like your your funny moments with like you know the you know like we're saying on the train you know with the shinra uh middle manager guy and like it just kind of it's like a little bit of everything it's like a sampler of all the things that we're gonna see you know and then you know we meet the the whispers and we get sephiroth it's just like here's all the stuff that is like a little just a little taste of what you're gonna get i think i think that's an excellent point because they really did bring out the whole spread to let you know what was coming your way. And right. I think it's I just... think another good example of that is what we end up seeing shortly after that when Cloud has his memory lapse in the street and mm. he sees the flame. He, he's staring at the flames, right? He's staring yeah. at the flames of the aftermath and then he has a the, the memory lapse. Shot. Exactly. He has like a memory <laughs> lapse and he sees Sephiroth standing in the flames. Mm. And I just want to personally say this, like, when you... um had your moment with Barrett where you're like, okay, they're going to nail Barrett. I can feel it. Mm -hmm. This is when I felt like they were going to nail cloud when I saw this, because archetypically speaking, when you look at cloud and Sephiroth, Sephiroth is like, he's like, how do I put it in some ways? And not literally more like psychologically, he's like the manifestation of clouds, dark side, you know, cloud, cloud, cloud based his whole identity on Sephiroth, you know, like, like when they show the flashback, um, with him and Tifa, wanna, he he wants to I go and be, be just like Sephiroth when I grow up. <laughs> exactly, he idolized him and set out his entire life path based on this guy. You mm-hmm. know, he's like, okay, I'm gonna enlist for Shinra. I'm gonna become a soldier, just like Sephiroth. Be a war hero, just like Sephiroth. And mm-hmm. what does Sephiroth end up doing? At and it seems it's implied they're keeping this the same in the remake. Um, he burns Nibelheim, Cloud's home, to the ground and yeah. kills his kills his mother. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I love this, with all of that pointed out. I love this because Cloud just bombed a reactor. And now he's standing in Midgar. And what does he see? He sees that he has set a city on fire. Yeah, he's literally watching people getting crushed by overpasses. (laughs) So you, exactly. So you (laughs) you have to wonder if you're Cloud and you're going to hold this grudge against Sephiroth for doing that to Nibelheim. Here you are. You blew up a reactor. The city's on fire. Mm-hmm. It it kind of brings into question the cloud. Like, are you any better right now? Yeah, and I think it really is. It it kind of makes a lot of sense that that is sort of the jumping off point because he does have a little bit of moments. You know, he like uh, Jesse kind of reminds him of uh, or brings up Tifa to him in the in the bombing run, and you have that little bit of a flashback. But like, you know, it's just kind of like a whatever. You seem like that. You know, and Cloud, you know, throughout the game has more and more of those moments. Um, but that I feel like was like, oh, now it's like, okay, this is getting serious now. Cause now he's going, now he's really thinking in detail to like this really traumatic moment. And it's like, oh, this isn't just some crazy nonsense. Like this is all, you know, again, that's another thing that is like, if you know what you're seeing, you know, it makes, it, it makes a lot of more sense, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think it's another good example of how they're handling this with so much care. Mm-hmm. Um because at the very least when it comes to cloud, 
we don't really know him yet. You know, unless you've played the original, you know nothing about the guy after chapter one, really. You know, yeah. you know, there's a character named Tifa and you get that flashback where he talks about Sephiroth. But mm. what I like is this leaves a lot of room for our heroes to grow, not just Cloud, but the whole avalanche. Game. Yeah, everybody. Yeah, Because it's like, you know, we can agree with them. We agree with their sentiment that, you know, Shinra is killing the planet. But you brought it up before, the methods are questionable. And mm -hmm. Cloud just set a place on fire, just like Sephiroth did. People who had nothing to do with with what their grudge was with Shinra. Yeah, and and you also you also kind of get because um, you know in that whole when Barrett's making his speech, Cloud, you know when when everyone else is being like, did we do this? Like, what the fuck happened? Cloud's just like, what's done is done. You yep. know, and he kind of gives off. You know, he still has that like very like aloof, like flippant kind of attitude. And then when he has this moment, uh, you know, thinking of back on Sephiroth and Nibelheim, that's like his like really first humanizing kind of moment almost, you know, that kind of makes him a little bit more than just like a super, you know, like a cold, uh, you know, badass type. You know what I mean? Oh, no, the veil, the veil starts being lifted and you see just how mm -hmm. vulnerable he is and how cowardly he can even be, mm -hmm. um, especially when Sephiroth shows himself. Um, one thing yeah. that you... That was worth noting is Cloud's aware of the Nibelheim event um, yeah. early on. That was not a case in the original. He um, re recalled that Nibelheim event later on, but mm -hmm. he's well aware. When I say the Nibelheim event, I actually mean him killing Sephiroth and chucking him yeah. into the life stream. That was mm -hmm. something that had to be recalled in the original, but that's something he remembers here. And yeah, like he yeah, he literally says, I killed you. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, <laughs> you know? if I could just give my opinion, I kind of like that. Uh, I don't think that's something Cloud would ever forget, the fact that he killed his idol. Yeah, like, and even even though it's linked to, like, so really bad trauma, like, that, if it's trauma that's on that scale, like, you're not forgetting everything about it. Exactly. And like, he, and it's literally, you know, because we've said, you know, we were, I think we brought it up in the last time, but there are other times when certain other references are made to the past where, like, Cloud instantaneously his his mind actively blocks it out so he's aware like i think he's aware at all times it is literally he literally just has a very thin wall kind of blocking it all away and as long as no one brings up anything about it he's fine but as soon as anyone even you know if anyone starts to make the you know the sound zah, you know he like freaks out and you know or exactly like he, you know well, I, I wanted to introduce an idea here and it's something we can keep track of as we break down these chapters more and more it's just mm -hmm. a little theory um, that I have right now. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on it. Um, mm -hmm. So in this ve very beginning chapter, and we'll get to Sephiroth's appearance when he's with Aerith um, down the line, but mm -hmm. at least here in the beginning, no one else can see Sephiroth. Like, only yeah. Cloud is seeing him. And I wonder if that has anything to do with the Genova cells in Cloud's system. If Genova is able to manifest a figure to kind of psychologically break Cloud... Like, yeah, I it's think... the Genova cells shooting those memories into the brain. It's his Genova cells manifesting Sephiroth in front of him. Yeah, I think, honestly, because, like, we brought it up on the last episode, but I think that all the stuff that he saw of Sephiroth, uh, at least up until a point, uh, was, the, was the Genova Dreamweaver. Like, just, like, having that connection with Cloud and being like, oh, this is, you know, if, if Sephiroth is meant to be the you know, uh, embodiment of Genova, I guess, because we kind of brought, we're talking about that last time too. Yeah. It's totally plausible that, you know, Genova, you know, is going through cloud and being like, hmm, what's the most effective way to fuck with this guy? Exactly. Oh, let's How to bring manipulate up, him. <laughs> yeah. Let's bring up the guy that completely fucked his shit up <laughs> uh, and, you know, constantly torment him with that and. You know, and it's it's hard to say without knowing how things are going to play out. But, you know, because in those moments where Cloud is having his, you know, little, uh, you know, attacks, for lack of a better term, um, there are times where he sees future events. Yeah. So is that, you know, well, I, I think I what that know. might have to do is because Sephiroth's technically in the life stream, so mm. are the Genova cells. So because right. the Genova cells are in the life stream, Genova now has knowledge of past and future events. Right. Um, so, that, that, okay. That's at so, least how then, I'm making sense of it in my head right now. Or I'm wondering if it's sort of maybe a combination of Genova and 
um, the whispers, maybe, or like, maybe it's the whispers like kind of bleeding into Genova. Or vice like, versa, oh, yeah, because I feel yeah. like the best way to kind of view Genova, because Genova is not a life form in the way you and I are life forms, or in no, the way even Cloud a, and the gang are yeah, life forms. More, more ethereal. Like, yeah, the it's way more, I... more of like a, a, it's like an Yggdrasil kind of like, um, it's not like, it's not like a physical embodiment of a thing, but it's more of, not like an idea, but I, you know what I mean? Like, I know what you mean. Here's, like a... here's how I, here's how I see it. It's like, it's like an AI program that's a computer virus for a planet, you know, yes. it's trying to infiltrate the planet whether it's through the life stream, whether it's through summoning meteor and then using that restoration magic uh, mm -hmm. with the black materia, the whole thing. Um, it's like a virus that's trying to take over its host and its host is the planet. And right. everything, whether it's Sephiroth or Cloud, they're, they're just players in the game. Um, mm -hmm. So I feel like that's the best way to kind of see. Genova and Sephiroth in many ways are one being, um, at least the Sephiroth mm -hmm. that we're seeing. Um but it's the Genova cells that are, in a sense, trying to infiltrate the planet and propagate everywhere that they could. Yeah, absolutely. Um, moving further into this first Sephiroth appearance, there was one part that sent a shiver down my spine. And it was this dialogue when he was talking to Cloud. And he said, Cloud, were the planet to die, so many things would be lost. Your hometown that burns so bright. The sound of her voice pleading for me to spare you. The shiver of her flesh yielding to cold steel. Yeah. That, and he just, uh, he said that so cold and sinister. I was, I was like, oh man, I want to slice your fucking throat already, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That whole, that whole scene was, uh, fantastic in a, in a, in a way to set up, you know, everything like, you know, it is such a good, cause you know, if you don't, you know, if you go in there not knowing what he's talking about, you know, it even then, cause obviously cloud has a. You know, you see him kind of, you know, reaching for, uh, you know, what is this apparently or obviously his house. And he's, um, and he's saying and one of the things I love is he's calling out to his mom. And I love that because this is and this is one of the themes. Nobody wants to get lost, but it was right in front of us. The death of the mother and coping with the loss of a mother or any kind of maternal figure, maybe like, you know, a planet like Gaia um, mm -hmm. is right there in the beginning. Yep. It's it's thrown right in front of us that this is an essential part of Cloud's suffering and who he is is his childhood hero killed his mother. Yeah, and and <laughs> killed like pretty much everyone he knew, uh, you know, mm -hmm. in, in his hometown. I mean, all the and and it's also interesting, you know, because we, you know, we see you know stuff with Tifa, you know, during that time frame before. All that stuff happens in Nibelheim. Um, and it, it's weird that, because now I'm thinking about it now, it's like she never, she never ever brings up that stuff to him. Not even, not even hinting. And I feel like even when they see Sephiroth, they all, everyone sees Sephiroth at the end. Well, this always... that's one thing. I think I mentioned it when we talked about it, but one of my complaints, and if I didn't get to it, one of mm. my actual complaints, as much as I l absolutely loved this story and absolutely fell in love with these characters is when tifa saw sephiroth she should have flipped a fucking yeah. shit like she, like she you know she, she was the first character that once he sort of manifested like you know had a reaction to it and like you could i mean i don't know how much of it is like you know me as a, a fan and knowing the the deal you know how much i'm adding into it but it seemed like you know obviously she had like a like a pained expression on her face. Oh no, there was but, a reaction. It's not like she was, you know, had no reaction. There was definitely yeah, a reaction. She, she didn't, she didn't flip out like she probably should have, but, um, you know, if, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, eh, I don't know. Like if she doesn't, if she doesn't know if it's real or not, then she, maybe she's not freaking out about it. I don't know. Yeah. But, but uh, look, it's a, it's a, it's a nitpicky complaint to say yeah, the least. Yeah, for sure. Um, for sure. But then that scene ends basically with Sephiroth telling cloud he needs to run away he needs yeah. to run, then Cloud swipes him and he disappears. Yeah, you need to leave. You need to live. Um, yeah, and then he I, says, I think, you know, you're, uh, you know, hold on to that hatred. Exactly. Like, okay. Like exactly. That. Exactly. His dark side manifests telling him to hold on to his dark side. Um, I think the run Cloud, run away bit is just as simple as Sephiroth needs Cloud to leave Midgar. Because none of yeah. what he wants to happen can happen without Cloud and the gang leaving mm -hmm. Midgar. So... I think it's just as simple as that. I've seen a lot of people 
put a lot of stock and a lot of thought and like a lot of well, expansion being, on that line. And I really think being, it's just as simple as him leaving Midgar. Yeah, I think, well, I mean, I've seen people being like, oh, this is him basically like, oh, just, you know, he's or doing like reverse psychology or, you know, he's telling him to, uh, you know, he wants him to stay and, uh, you know, go, uh, go about the path that, you know. I think the saving the planet bit is kind of a reverse psychology because obviously Genova wants the planet to survive so that she could use it as her vehicle, you right. know. Um, sure. And then we had the... Actually, that's in a later chapter, so let's not even bring that up. Yeah. Um, we, right after this, already... we bump into Aerith. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't know if you want to lead us with that. We see the whispers kind of swirling around her, but they're invisible at first. Yeah, I, I really like their... As far as like his uh, introduction scenes go uh, in this game, that definitely is it ranks on the, the higher end of the spectrum for me. Um, just in the way, because you're going through... Um, you know, you're, you're just walking through... Uh, Midgar, and then you're just like, hmm, well, that's close. Like, which way do I go? And then you just, you know, you turn down the street and you see her in the distance and you're like, oh, okay. And then, yeah, that whole, you know, that whole sequence of uh, meeting her and then Sephiroth, the the cheeky little thing that they do when Sephiroth appears behind her and puts his hand on her shoulder, um, which I think, again, was like another, like, Oh, it's an hey. alpha move. It's an alpha move. <laughs> it's like, bitch, I own this situation. Yeah, and then it, literally to Sephiroth being like, you can't, like, you, you're you not strong enough to save anyone, <laughs> including yourself. Like, I'm I'm trying to tell you what's up, but, you know, if you don't want to listen. Um, but yeah, that whole, and then, you know, Aerith, you know, you kind of get a little bit of, like, a sneak peek of her sort of, uh, like, very, like, snarky attitude. Which you know? I loved, by the way. I was so scared they were just going to turn her into a quote unquote flower girl and yeah, just like make yeah. her the sweet, innocent, sweetheart, the pure goddess. I'm so glad they gave her some spunk. <laughs> it feels yeah. so authentic. Yeah. Which I mean, she is like that in the original, but, um, Def you know, no, this definitely. Is definitely, I think I'm more kind of coming at her um, advent children. Um, yeah. Manifestation, yeah, yeah. which I mean, if anything, just, to, I, I I know I keep skipping ahead to like later parts in the game, but in the later part of this game, that's one thing I kind of was like, eh, about like, she starts getting too into like that, you know, she starts speaking a little bit too whimsically. And like, I understand she has a whole bunch of information that she's keeping away from everyone. But at the same time, it's like, she gets a little bit too, you know, Oh, I'm yes, with you. Know. I, I'm really, I really don't want her to fall into that for the next three games. I'd really yeah, like hopefully. if like, that's just something she rises to when she needs to, but otherwise she operates as her normally spunky self. I want, I want more honeybee Aerith, not, uh, <laughs> you know, fucking end of the world. Oh my god. And uh, I, but, and I, I'm, I'm certain we're gonna get plenty of it. Oh yeah, for sure. But um, yeah, that um, that that first line where you know she's like, um, or you know, Cloud's like, I'm, I'm into dangerous shit, and she's like, yeah. I'm sure you are. <laughs> I bet you are. So, you got a like, giant so? fucking sword on your back. And he's like, he's like, oh, keep your distance. And he's like, oh, well, you think someone's chasing after you? What are you being a big old scaredy cat? <laughs> you know, and then the, you know, and the whispers show up. And then that's when you first realize like, oh, not everyone can see these things. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because, I mean, I've not gone back and looked if uh, there's like sort of a transference thing. Because there are certain parts where it's like the whispers at a certain point are like, you know, sometimes they are, uh, uh, appear to whoever they want to. And sometimes, you know, they appear to everybody, you know, and it's it's kind of weird, you know, because I initially thought it was going to be like a thing of like, oh, you know, once you touch somebody, then, oh, they can see it. But, you know, yeah, let's keep our eyes on that. I, I don't know yeah. if it's maybe it's uh, maybe it's like super infectious where it's like now Cloud touched Aerith so he could see it. And now that Cloud yeah. touched Barrett and Tifa, now they could see it. Um, yeah, I'm like they're I think we're going to find out because if you remember at the end, again, we're skipping ahead a little bit, but we'll bring it back. You know, Rufus mm. is able to see them and I'm sure there's mm. going to be a reason why because the other the Turks couldn't see them, but yeah. Rufus could. So I'm sure there's there's some kind of designation there. I wonder, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, I wonder if it has to do with like, hey, are you super important to this moment in time right now? We're going to show, we're going to reveal ourselves to you. Yeah, and, you it, know, could, it like, could be a matter of that. Yeah, like Hojo didn't see them before, but he, you know, saw them when they carried his ass away when he was about to spill the beans about Cloud. Mm -hmm. um, 
So it's it's interesting. Well, we don't even know if he saw them. They they could have just like swept him away, but um, yeah, uh, yeah, I guess yeah, because he does say he's like uh, you know what is with this phenomenon, and so I guess that could just be him levitating and flying backwards. Yeah, for all he knows, right? Without seeing, yeah. So yeah, maybe who knows? But But, uh, um, bringing it back to Cloud and Aerith. um, So and here's kind of the point where they introduce the whispers were trying to keep the original plot intact. Like, they were swirling around Aerith to keep her in place so Cloud could meet her. Then the yeah, guards show up. And then, and then up. they shoo her away. Yeah, exactly. The guards <laughs> well, you, you, show up, and Aerith, she looked like she was going to fight with Cloud. She's like, you know what? You're right. And she stood by his side, ready to fight. But then the whispers came and were like, get the fuck out of here. And she's like, bye. <laughs> See you later. Okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> nice meeting you. Uh, but then after and that, then- um, after that is an amazing pocket of gameplay where we really get to flesh out the combat because you know not that the chapter one didn't but chapter one you're kind of you're learning the unless you're psychos like you and i when you play the demo and we play the demo like 30 times (laughs) you know you just got your hands on the combat chapter two is kind of letting you experiment and play with it a little bit the whole chase scene with all the shinra guards and the copters flying overhead it just and the the fucking city's on fire and you just you're just trying to meet up with your friends it's it was an yeah, awesome and, and pocket it, of gameplay. Yeah, it is another yeah another th- thing of being like here's another sample of, you know what you know because it's like half exploration, half fighting, and like that's what most of the game is. You know, maybe maybe not half and half exactly, but you know it's a good representation of the you know you're 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 in an area and you're going to run from spot to spot, but you're going to fight sporadically between those spots you know oh yeah and uh also another i even made a note of it was uh the the fucking music even though we've we've gushed about the music so many times but this (laughs) you know considering that there are like thirty thousand different remixes of the battle theme in here um and each one hits differently and i love every single one of them um but this was the first time where i'm like oh shit okay and it's just gonna keep playing throughout the whole entire segment i'm like okay fuck yeah i'm fucking pumped up and, uh, yeah, I love that whole sequence. And then, uh, it ends, uh, interestingly as well, because I, I, I want to say, you know, before cloud jumps onto the train that everyone else is on, um, he's, he's about to escape. And one of the Shinra troops says to him, or he just says like, Hey, I recognize that. And then it does like the staticky noise. It, to me, it seemed like he said, I recognize that sword. Uh, they cut it off. I actually I watched the scene the whole chapter earlier today. They cut it off before he could say anything. From what I recall, right. he was like, hey, "Yeah." But you are right. He's like, "Hey, I recognize that," and I think you're right. It's the sword. Maybe it's somebody who knew Zach. Yeah, it kind of it kind of looked either because it you know he's about to say something and then it cuts away, but it looks like almost his mouth is going to say "sword," but maybe he said or maybe he's going to say "soldier," you know? Because initially when I first played through it, I was like, "Oh, he recognizes Cloud." But then once I watched that scene again, I was like, oh, maybe he's talking about the sword instead. Because, I mean, you know, not to... Well, cause, you know. cause, well Shinra, it's worth mentioning, like, obviously the Shinra guards, they're, they're faceless. They wear those helmets. Right. Um, it'd be harder to recognize Cloud that way. But, yeah, but of giant soldiers, sword. Everyone, everyone would know Zack, right? If he's a first-class soldier and, yeah. you're, and you're one of the Shinra goons, you know who Zack yeah. is. Just like yeah, everyone you know knew who Sephiroth him. was. Yeah, I mean, people even fucking know who Roche is, and, you know, he's third class. He's third. <laughs> Gotta, love it. Gotta love, I love it. I love it. I love that you, you fight Roche, and, you know, he's third class. And then later on in the game, you also fight third class. Those armored dudes, those soldier guys, yep. are third class. Mm. And I'm like, that's really funny that they just have, you know, you have psychopaths like roche and then you just have the regular goober guys yeah those right down the middle guys they're just like yeah you know we're just you know we're here to do our job (laughs) and have carry a sword around uh and not a bad gig gotta respect it definitely not oh at least at least people don't look at me like a psychopath (laughs) and don't want to be near me uh but yeah that um that sequence that whole sequence of of cloud running through uh, sector eight Escaping from the guards is again awesome. a way way more in depth. Well, not way more, but it's definitely more involved than in the original. You would and, hope uh, so, right? Um, yeah, but no, they really threw us in threw us into that, and then we get to the scene where um, Avalanche is on the train, and they're worried about Cloud, and it makes it pretty clear that Cloud's won everybody over 
you know, yeah. and there comes a point where even, Cloud, go ahead. I was going to say, even if, because uh, in one of my notes, uh, I put uh, Sundari Barrett. Sundari. Because um, <laughs> when Cloud comes in and he's like, oh, I, you had me worried. And then Cloud looks at him and then he's like, but fuck, what were you doing? You know, he's like, uh, I, I didn't have any, I wasn't actually you know, worried about you, Bubba Baca, you know, or like that kind of thing. Well, I love it because uh, it builds the juxtaposition that is Barrett. He's this gigantic monster of a man who's intense and rough and yeah. loud. But like, and we've said he's, it so many times, he's just a, he's a teddy bear underneath. Yeah. It all. And, and honestly, and that's why him and Cloud are always kind of interesting because they're both kind of the same and like they are putting on such a huge front. Yes. Not like in a, not in a negative way necessarily, but they're trying to be so hard in one way, but they're really like, they're really like nice, caring dudes, you know, and they, yeah. they care about, you know, people that are close to them. And, you know, that the sort of like undressing of that throughout the game is another thing I like so much about it. Well, yeah, man, it, um, it feeds into what we were saying on the last episode that a really big theme that they're zeroing in on here is identity and, you mm-hmm. know, lifting the veil on your identity, everything like that. Um, but moving forward, um, in the train, you see again that Avalanche is just really shaken up about the bombing still. Like, they're not over it. Like, Cloud and Barrett, pretty much over it. But the B team, Jesse, Wedge, and Biggs, they're not over it. They're really shaken yeah. up. Like, if you talk to them on the train, uh, I know Wedge says, like, hey, if they find out it was us, they'll kill us. And Biggs is like, hey, man, Cloud, can you help me out? Like, my hands are still shaking. And Cloud's like, oh, it goes away, it goes away in time. And mm-hmm. Biggs is like, all right, something to look forward to, I guess. Yeah. You know, and Jesse's and, trying to confide in him, like, hey, a little help, Cloud. It's, I still can't stop thinking about it. Could it have been those yeah. invisible enemies you talked about? No, I don't want to make excuses. You just see the the gears are just turning in all of their heads. And you could see they they just they feel like pawns. They're happy to play for the king, but they feel like pawns, you know, and it's yeah. really starting to sink in on them. Yeah, and it's, you know, the the moment for me, like when Jesse was like, I couldn't have, like I you know She's like, is was it really me? And then she's like, oh yeah, I used more than the recipe called for, and you know I shouldn't have done that, and and saying all this stuff. And then it's like, it's 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 crazy seeing that sort of juxtaposed to like, so they used a a more she used more than she was supposed to, and it still didn't. I mean, it disabled the reactor, but you know, to think that like, <laughs> it's kind of crazy to think. You know, but well, they they kind of explain it right away with you know, oh, it's a reaction with the Mako, or whatever. And you know, I guess if you don't really know much about Mako, you know, I it, it it's plausible. You know, yeah. Well, like that's unless that... you're unless you're a fucking like biochemist, you're just gonna shrug like, well, I guess that makes right. sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because like in the in the original game, that's what I thought happened. I was like, oh, no, I gotta know? give you credit, man. You called that. You know, yeah, when that... we on one of our first episodes. Mm-hmm. That they were going to really dig deeper into this, the idea that like it shouldn't have been that big of an explosion because it is very subtle. It's there in the original. I know yeah. some people kind of started screaming after the demo, like that wasn't in the original, but yeah. it is very subtly but mentioned. It it is it is subtly mentioned, and I I like how that you know the sort of framing of Avalanche sort of encapsulates the entire game. Oh, they you feel know, trapped it's, it's, like it's, a train. It's a a driving it's a driving force for the plot throughout the. In- the entirety of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you kind of see, you know, that Jesse, uh, Jesse even carries that guilt from that first bombing all the way up until she, you know, all the way to her death, bro. Yeah. And she's she literally, you know, is like saying like, Hey, the, they're my victims. Like I, I had it coming to die, you know, um, which is crazy to, you know, think that. Cause you know, the, again, they don't really talk about that. And, you know, something that, you know, when you when you go to meet Tifa in the next chapter and, you know, try to and you see that she's having her own doubts about Avalanche and like, should we like, I don't know if we should be blowing shit up, though. Like, I'm down for like, you know, doing, uh you know, <laughs> doing rallies and stuff, but well, I don't know about blowing stuff up. Yeah, and, she, you know, she makes it clear that she's not completely on board in, in her heart, you know. She might yeah, be there. That, she might be their body and mind, but you know, she even she has her doubts. You know, and I I like that because, you know, we can't just have everybody who's down for everything. You know, right. people like, have to be human beings about these kind of things. 
Exactly. And I think that's what makes, you know, the members of Avalanche seem a lot more uh, grounded to me than they did in the original because they, like we were saying before, they also had their doubts. They're like, you know. Well, they look to like, Barrett to, to fill those doubts. You right. Know? Yeah. And, you know, especially when you Take consider that, you know, um, you know, Biggs and Wedge, you know, you find uh, it's not really surprising, but you find out that they don't have families of their own. And Jesse's the only one of the avalanche of this particular crew that has a family, mm -hmm. you know, which, you know, makes it <laughs> every time I remember that she has a family, I have to remember that they also die when the plate falls. Um, <laughs> True. You know, it's, a, it's such a shitty fucking thing. Um, and no more raspberries, man. Yeah, no more raspberries. Uh, um, or, or, or maybe, maybe we don't know yet. That's true. Who know who Kien Sabe at the end of the day? Yeah, we'll um, we'll talk about that later on. But, we'll, yeah, so. we're definitely gonna get to that eventually. Um, but there's a whole game left. The, yeah, <laughs> seriously. Um, but everything that transpires after is actually some really good world building. I thought because we immediately yes. bump into like those Shinra middle managers yes. who, you know, they're towing my, the company line and you see that like fucking scenes. Exactly. You yeah. see that they're like a little like philosophically pathetic. Like they clearly aren't thinking things through completely, but they seem like modest people just trying to make a modest living in a way it humanizes them. Um, but we see how it absolutely drives Barrett insane that he can't get through yeah. to get, can't get through to people like that, and people seem so easily brainwashed. And then yeah. shortly after that, we see the uh, I don't know if this happened. I think it says after that we see the Shinra ID scan before Jesse's going to lay out the city to Cloud, and it pretty much establishes that Shinra's got this place by the balls. You know, the yeah. people are brainwashed and docile, and you've got a military state where there are ID scans on the train. Bro, listen, yeah. for anyone listening, where we live, we take the train, we get a ticket clipped, and then we throw it out. You yeah, know, like, that's it. Scary that world just, to have my ID scanned. Yeah, you know, and it's and it's and it's funny because, you know, it kind of again ties back into what I said earlier and being like, this is it is such a good, you know, is such a good chapter for establishing the world and the state of it and the you know where our characters are you know where their place in it and you know how they're you know the repercussions of their actions and you know you sort of you get a glimpse at the world the world at large almost or you know midgar i guess but you know um it just now now that I, ever since i said that earlier i was i keep thinking about like man this fucking chapter is Really fucking genius. Oh, they do. They pile. Serious. No, like you said it best at the beginning of the podcast when you're like, it set the tone and it set the stage for the rest of the game to unfold. They gave us everything mm -hmm. we needed. You know, you leave chapter two feeling pretty well informed as to what's going to transpire or what's coming. Um, really, the way the chapter ends, we're right at the end here. And the way it ends is a conversation between Cloud and Barrett where. You know, Barrett's lamenting about Shinra's wasteful and destructive structure. And Cloud says, leave and never look back. That's always what's worked for him. Mm -hmm. And then this is my favorite part, because as you brought up in the beginning of the chapter, we get to see more of Barrett. We get to see another side of Barrett. We get to see him for who he is. And we see that charismatic leadership intense intensity at the beginning. But then we mm -hmm. have this Barrett, who when Cloud says pack up and leave that's what's always worked for him barrett just responds and says hey that's all well and good if you're only out for yourself but Man, the folks but down under the, and yeah and he, you know this this i absolutely make love by the way and i think yeah. what happens next is just a testament to how much love and effort was really put into this game is he takes his glasses off and he looks at cloud mm -hmm. and he basically says you know the folks under the plate they don't have the luxury of choice you know and if mm -hmm. you pause it right after he says that like, look at his face, man. Like, yeah, and I encourage anyone genuine, who's listening. He's genuine yeah. and just full of sorrow. You know, the glasses come off and he ceases to be this, like, laser-eyed ma maniac. And he, he just turns yeah, into this, a man carrying regret. You know, yeah, every, regrets he's trying to atone for. Yeah, everything prior to that was, you know, Barrett's being a fucking hard-ass and, He's know, yelling at civilians, know, blowing up reactors. Like, yeah, you know, picking on Cloud and just kind of being like, not like unlikable, but he's kind of being a douche to Cloud. He's rigid. And I guess, you know, he's rough yeah, around he's, the edges. Yeah, he's very much like setting his ways kind of guy. But, you know, he definitely he's not like he's not narrow minded in that sense where like he can be like, 
you know, he can see his own bullshit. You know, like there are parts later on in the game where he recognizes the he like he knows himself very well and he is not ashamed of who he is as a person. Mm-hmm. And you see that you see many examples of that throughout the entire of the entirety of the game. And that's what makes me uh, makes him one of my favorite characters uh, in this in this entire remake. I have to say, I think I leave the remake with Barrett as my favorite character. Oh, absolutely. I think that's how absolutely. I leave part one. We'll see what the rest holds. But I come away from part one really mostly more attached to Barrett probably than any other character. Yeah, and as far as the main squad is concerned. Yeah, absolutely. Without a doubt. And uh, then we have how this the final line of the chapter, which was kind of a thro- kind of a throwaway line in the first game, but ended up being a pretty entire, meta like a pretty meta the line. Entire, in this one. Like yeah, the entire crux of the plot of this game. Exactly. So, you know, Barrett <laughs> mentions how the people under the pl- under the plate don't have the luxury of choice that Cloud might have. And then Cloud says, you know, like this train, I suppose there's only one way it could go. And mm. that ended up being a big part of the problem our heroes needed to face you know whether it was tifa feeling like she was trapped whether it was barrett feeling like no matter what he did shinra always had a response you know this Mm -hmm. feeling that like you know that even when they were in shinra hq later in the game that they were being led you know that they in many ways they feel like they're just caught on the rails Yeah, they they were pawns and you know this great and i mean for for Better or worse, they kind of were pawns. Absolutely. Dude, I get part, chills you know. at the scene where Heidegger shows himself. He's like, oh, you still don't understand your role There's in your this. role in this, yeah. You know, it's like, it's such a good line that really puts into perspective where our heroes are in terms of what they mean to Midgar. Like, they are pawns yeah. on the scale of Midgar. But we come away having transcended that. And to me, that's what mm-hmm. really brought the ending together is our heroes defeated that. The idea there are trains stuck on the rail, only one way could go. They defeated that, you know? And I think when you say that chapter two really set the stage, I mean, everything we just went over. Is like totally, everything sets up every, everything to come for the rest of the game. It is like retroactively now I'm thinking about it and I am getting more and more giddy just thinking about like, man, like I, I know I, I had thoughts that this entire game was genius on one level or another, but to have your like actual like, you know, you know, well not opening level but like your first real level in the game, to be this almost perfect sampling of every touching on everything that is going to come up late, you know, and sort of foreshadowing and, um you know, setting the stage, like we said, uh, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> because n- not a lot of games do that. Not a lot of games put that level of sort of care into, you know, sort of weaving certain things in and out and sort of giving you a little, you know, it's what a game should do. Yep. But, you know, a lot of games ultimately, you know, end up being like, oh, well, go over here, hit this button, <laughs> you know, and here's this big flashing logo to, you know, show you where you need to go. Um but yeah, no, just, uh, man, well, man, I, I, I'm glad that we decided to do this because I probably wouldn't have fully realized how great this chapter alone was. I mean, I still, I still love the game as a whole, but like this chapter alone, the more, the more I, I think about it, uh, it be- becomes even better regarded to me in my mind. Yeah. And I'm right there with you, dude. At the end of the day, it's like, I, I, you know, I knew I obviously loved this chapter going into it, but having us cover it like this, it's so crazy how when you look back, how it's like all the foundation was laid was laid down here in this chapter. Yeah, and, the, you know, obviously, you know, going through the entire game and, you know, looking back on it, it's just like, wow. You know, because when you're going through it the first time, it's like, well, you know, this is a great experience. I'm having a wonderful time, but you're not really, you know, it's kind of like when you watch a movie for the first time, you don't really pick up on on all the nuances really until this you, you go back and like huh yeah actually that was pretty like oh okay yeah, you know I mean, yeah you catch the little things man and there's so many of those like I'm on my second playthrough now and I'm picking up on things that I completely missed the first time and like I'm the annoying asshole that like when there's a cut scene if there's someone in the room they can't talk to me like <laughs> yeah, like no I need to, I need to focus Seri- no seriously it's like you know you wouldn't talk during a movie I give video game cutscenes the same respect 
Um, Absolutely. Especially more games today that are a lot of their cutscenes are like movies. Well, that's that's kind of the direction it's all going in. And I think, you know, with this chapter in mind, when we think about the original Final Fantasy VII, what we know it as, at least what it means to, I guess I'll say gaming culture as a whole, is like, this was the game that showed us that a really... And like, obviously there were games before this that did this, but Final Fantasy VII made such a big splash and really showed that video games can be a really good vehicle for telling stories. And mm-hmm. the original Final Fantasy VII completely changed the landscape on a popular level yeah, for how I mean, to tell think- stories in your games. And I actually think, and keeping in mind that mm-hmm. these are three-fourths of the same writers from the original, um, at least rather three of the four writers of the original have heavy influential roles in this one and are handling the plot. Um, mm-hmm. They want to do it again. They want to change the gaming story landscape again. And I think their way of doing it is taking their time with these episodic releases and really fleshing out the lore and the characters and the locations like this was an anime. You know, like Mm -hmm. we're going to get to the end of this and there's going to be enough hours to fill four or five seasons of an anime. And that's, to me, (laughs) it seems like that's kind of what they're trying to do. They wouldn't be the first to do it, right? You know, there are games doing this now. But they're trying to do it to a level like we haven't seen before. And, you know, I'm sure you would agree, and Chapter 2 is a good example of this. You know, Midgar is one of the most alive places I've ever been to in a video game. Like, really alive. I've been to places with more exploration. I've been to places that are more visually aesthetic. I've been, you know, the list goes on. But Mm, the overall package, NPCs and dialogue included, this world felt alive and like it was interacting with me at my every step and chapter two when we talk about in the fallout when you're just standing in the street with the city on fire and everybody Shit's freaking falling out over and, and you hear screaming you hear people screaming screaming about fire like trucks they're, they're, guys with fucking fire hoses everywhere and it really it's it's really something else um you know we're and coming it's not up even i'll go ahead to say it, it's it's not even just that section it's literally even every single town area every single like er- like major city area that you're in in this game feels like that like and they all have their own personality like everything from sector 7 sector 5 wall market uh the Shinra- even the Shinra HQ building uh and you know kind of sort of seeing how the other half live you know oh, and yeah. seeing you know you're seeing all the like the corporate side and you know, you see everyone, you know, it's just, and like going through that, everything feels so good, you know, and oh, so yeah. lived in, you know, it just feels, it feels like a actual world to me. And I feel like that's, you know, why I don't mind them taking more time to flesh these characters and these locations out, because that's what makes the game so good, in my opinion, other than, you know, obviously like the gameplay is good or whatever, but the sort of everything, the the amount of life that they breathe into every single corner of this world that you're in, you know, give or take a few spots here and there, but you know, it's something that I feel like can really set this game apart from not just its predecessors, but from its own past a little bit, you know, and just t- it's taking that extra that extra step of like you know, because imagine imagine if this game where everything was the same except for you had to go up to people and talk to them. And that's how you heard all the other dialogue. It would not have been the same. Exactly. And I'm glad that they sort of added that sort of quality of life, you know, for lack of a better term, improvement um, to this and sort of, you know, uh, because, you know, like the, the Yakuza games do a very similar thing where you're, you're walking through town and there's like, you know, there's some people that you can go up and talk to, but there's also other people that just have, you know, speech bubbles above their head. And I think Persona 5 does that, too, where it's just like, you know, and that to me is just it it, it does, you know, even, you know, in some games, it's either a lot of it's just kind of, you know, flavor fluff text or whatever. This game actually made me want to stand there and listen to what everyone was saying. Especially because, after you do side quests, right? Because when you start yeah. doing side and quests change, and helping... Yeah, it changes. Yeah, because you're helping the people in that sector. And it's like, 
uh, you know, let's let's save that for chapter three when you kind of meet up with Tifa and she explains about building your rep and stuff. I guess maybe we should mm. hold on to that. We've covered everything in chapter two. If I don't know if you could think of anything else to cover before we sign this one off, but uh, anything exclusively for chapter two? Um, I don't know. I think we 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 pretty much covered it. Um, I mean, if if anything, just reference to the fact that we kept using it as a springboard to talk about stuff that happens later on, but. But I think that's important because this is a re- yeah. this is a retrospect, right? It's like we're going back to chapter two. Absolutely. You, you know, with the whole and, and I think that's, that's why it's important. We did that ending episode last week to show yeah. like we're going to talk about chapter two in the context of having beat the game. Of having completed it. Yes. Instead of giving you like a play by play, which, you know, I guess could have been an interesting approach too. But I'm actually I'm also kind of glad that, you know, we've 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 both beaten the game. You know, we're kind of going back through it now and sort of combing through all the, the so much layers of stuff that's going on. Yeah. <laughs> and and parsing out, you know, like, you know, our theories and stuff like that. So uh, I'm very excited to uh, for the future of, of this podcast because I there's a lot of other stuff. There's a lot more stuff in this game that I would l- love to go into a lot more detail about that we haven't. Yeah, so that, far. that's what's so funny. You know, before before we wrap this up, it's like when we were first talking about starting this podcast, we were like, well, you know, this is going to be a multi-year project. We're looking anywhere from five to ten years. And we're like, well, I hope there's enough content for us to discuss in between games. <laughs> and I really don't think that's going to be a problem. It's like, no, I think I think we're <laughs> going to be good. And, you know, with all, you know. Now, we already have Ultimania interviews and stuff. Like, yeah, there's a lot yeah, coming. Yeah, which I, I definitely, I'm curious. If you ever, if you get your hands on that book, let me know. Cause yeah, I think it's only in I'm, Japanese right now. Um, I, I will let you, for those still listening, Next week's episode, we're going to be going over this interview that Kitase and Nomura gave uh, through the Ultimania. We're going to break it down, see what they meant by what they said. And uh, yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. And we'll do a Chapter 3 episode shortly after that. You can expect uh, more content like this from us. Yeah, there, there's uh, yeah, there's going to be plenty more to come. You know, we'll, you know, this, we'll pretty much have a breakdown of, I think, pretty much every chapter, you know, maybe save one or two because i know there's some chapters in here that are not super they're not meaty you know, and we can group them in with you know chapters around them that are a little bit right. more meaty. so yeah so you know anyone if you're if you're asking yourself why the fuck haven't they talked about this thing yet or why haven't they talked more about this we will get there oh, we're gonna get there but uh <laughs> yeah thank you for joining us um if any of you are on instagram you could follow us at the dot midgard dot minute would love to chat with any of you on there uh, thank you again yeah. so much for listening. We really appreciate it. This has been another exciting episode of the Midgar Minute. Uh, I, along with Chris, thank you all for listening, and we will see you next week. Let's mosey.